0: You're listening to a press conference from the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health with Yonatan Grad, the Melvin J. and Geraldine L. Glimsher Assistant Professor of Immunology and Infectious Diseases, and a faculty member in the Center for Communicable Disease Dynamics. This call was recorded at 10 a.m. Eastern Time on Wednesday, December 8th. Uh, Dr. Grad, do you have any opening remarks for us?
1: Sure. Uh, Actually, today, I I think, um, there's a fair bit to talk about, so I just wanted to try to frame discussion and then we've got to field questions. So uh, I imagine um, with the data that's started coming out uh, yesterday uh, afternoon and evening on neutralization totals for Omicron, there's um, going to be a fair bit of discussion about that and the implications. So I just wanted to uh, address a few points. So with this new variant, there are questions around its um, transmissibility, Uh, neutralization, um, and severity. So for um, transmission, um, the data that we have so far suggests that it appears uh, to be highly transmissible, uh, and to some extent that's uh, innate transmissibility, uh, and then um, it's also, as we are seeing now, um, uh, attributable to some extent to escape from immune response. Uh, And I think the implications um, are, uh, are really important. Um, uh, we will see, uh, as it seems to um, outcompete Delta, a, a big wave of Omicron. Uh, at least that is the concern. So it's um, uh, also worth noting that even as that's the concern, we're already seeing a huge amount of transmission of Delta. Um, so uh, I think um, uh, the the it portends. Uh, Um, a difficult winter ahead, Um, so the next few weeks and and over the winter, um, uh, we'll have to um, address a number of issues and be prepared for uh, what's coming, Uh, and I think um, as as it has been always with this pandemic, um, you can anticipate uh, some of these features, but you really need to start preparing early. uh, It's the whole concept of exponential growth that we've been talking about for, for two years now. Um, so the first issue, transmissibility. The second one, neutralization. So the first uh, data that we were seeing yesterday um, suggests a substantial reduction in neutralization titers from individuals with two doses of uh, um, Pfizer vaccine and less so in those uh, who were vaccinated and infected. In other words, those people appeared to have less of a reduction in uh, neutralization titers. And Pfizer released... Um, Uh, some uh, press report, although I have not seen data, um, suggesting that uh, um, um, much of that reduction is uh, made up for by a booster dose or a third dose. So we see, again, less reduction in individuals who had three doses. Um, But there's a fair bit of uncertainty here, and I think we're going to learn a lot more, uh, again, over the next days and weeks, um, when we have a chance to read the manuscripts and actually uh, see how all of this was done. For neutralization titers comparing to um, you know, two doses or three doses, we also know that what matters is uh, timing. When did those people get the vaccines? What are, when are those, um, uh, the sera used in these uh, assays? When are they from? Are they from uh, two weeks post-last uh, dose, or is it something um, uh, where you know, they waited six months to, to see what the sera were? So it, Again, th- these are issues with, with waning that we are familiar with. Neutralization is also important for uh, monoclonal antibodies, which are a big part of the therapy for um, um, COVID-19. And there's suggestion that at least one of the monoclonal antibodies seems to still um, have uh, substantial activity, but there's good reason to suspect that others do not. And that has, again, big implications as we look ahead to um, Omicron spreading, uh, and causing disease requiring hospitalization, um, limited therapeutic options will pose a challenge. So uh, first, neutralization, and, uh, or excuse me, first transmissibility, then neutralization, and the third issue is severity. So it is, it is just too early uh, to know what is going on with how severe disease will be uh, in, from, from Omicron. Um, I, I think it is reasonable to start to assume that Um, from neutralization escape, we should start to see uh, as well decrease in um, vaccine effectiveness for uh, hospitalizations and deaths with Omicron. So there is um, uh, a good reason, uh, I would say from from these data um, and also from the precautionary principle uh, to be alarmed and to start preparing. Um, And again, uh, we're in it uh, already with Delta with cases um, uh, rising in many places. So for sure, uh, the unvaccinated uh, are at uh, big risk, both with Delta and then Mm -hmm. with coming Omicron, Um, sorry. Uh, And then um, uh, the other issue that I'd point out is uh, we are seeing flu. Uh, So there's a fair amount of um, influenza picking up um, around the country. Uh, And this is, um, I I worry. Uh, starting to look like the scenario that everyone was worried about last winter, when um, there was concern for both uh, um, influenza and SARS-CoV-2 spreading um, over the winter season. So um, the, the you know going back to the same themes um, um, from the beginning, as we were heading into last winter, uh, um, the uh, strain on hospitals and the healthcare system broadly, I think is. Um, uh, going to, again, be a priority uh, this winter. So um, OK, that was basically the <laughs> prelude. Um, happy to, to field questions.
0: Great. Thank you very much, Dr. Brown. All right, um, first question.
2: Hi, uh, thanks so much for the time. Um, I have a couple of question related questions, if that's okay, um, tied to um, kind of what you were saying about transmissibility and and how you're thinking about that uh, with Omicron. And I guess so. To start, like, how are you um, thinking about its transmissibility as it compares to Delta? I mean, maybe what you're seeing in South Africa or in Europe. And, and it sounds like you think it whatever advantage might exist could be both that innate transmissibility as well as a greater degree of immune escape.
1: Yes, uh, I think um, we're still waiting for uh, more data on neutralization. But from um, you know, and, and again, this is this is still a bit early. We're going to get more data, um, uh, both from South Africa, from the UK, from other places where they have great surveillance systems that will allow us to um, to, to uh, better estimate what the transmissibility advantage is of Omicron over Delta, but I'm, it certainly suggests, the we've seen so far, suggests that, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, suggests that there there, there is some. Um, one of the uh, questions has been, to what extent is it kind of an innate transmissibility advantage versus um, an advantage conferred by escape from neutralization? Right? so it could be components of both. Uh, and again, I think, will um, have a better sense of that both as we get more data on neutralization and as we get more of the epidemiological data. but I uh, right now it looks like there may be contributions from from both to uh, omicron's advantage over delta
2: And just to follow up on that if I like w- if if you don't mind you know forecasting a little bit um what does that mean about like how could how like epidemiologically could that transmission advantage play out in a place like, the US, because I know like when a variant enters a new place, like a lot depends on what are other variants are circulating and sort of like the immune profile of that place. Um, you know, I think like Fauci yesterday raised the idea that South Africa has much higher rates of HIV. So it's like harder to draw comparisons, but like is Europe a better comparison? So like, I, sorry, yeah, how could that play out in the US?
1: Right. So, um, you know, it's going to be influenced by all of the usual things that that we've talked about. So, one, you're absolutely right. It has to do with the um, extent of immune protection in a population. So, as we learn more about um, the neutralization. Uh, from people who have been infected, from people who have had uh, two doses of a vaccine, from people who have had boosters, all of that will play out. Um, I am worried about transmission in the U.S. because of the large fraction of the population that remains unvaccinated, right? So uh, the extent of immune protection um, is uh, um, not substantial enough to uh, really, uh, it seems, make make a huge dent. We're seeing spread in South Africa Africa, we're seeing spread in Denmark, we're seeing spread even in the US, right? The cases are picking up here um, as people identify more and more uh, Omicron across the country. So I am, I am, I am worried about uh, Omicron spreading. And I, I say this even as we have a, a wave of Delta now where uh, Delta is spreading through the population. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's hard to estimate exactly what the patterns will be uh, that is influenced not only by the transmissibility of the virus, but also what mitigation measures we take and how much of the population um, decides to get vaccinated or boosted. Um, so there, uh, there are things that people can do to help slow the spread. Uh, but I am um, certainly worried that, you know, given the fraction of the population that remains unvaccinated uh, um, and both unvaccinated and previously uninfected, so really totally immune naive, uh, we will see.
2: Um, a huge amount of spread. Um, Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Uh,
0: Next question.
2: Hi there. That was uh, started with some questions I had. But just to follow up on this
1: idea of transmissibility real quick, because I spoke to a, a researcher in the UK who has already said, you know, he thinks the effective reproduction number is above three there. Um, you know, based on early data and that kind of mirrors what they're seeing in South Africa. And I just wonder how you kind of, uh, you know, how you digest this, this early information and um, the fact that we might be seeing a similar, you know, um, reproduction in two very different places, you know, like the UK and South Africa. What, what, what could that tell us? Well, I, I think it, it is consistent. I mean, the data that we're seeing in um, uh, these places is consistent with each other and consistent with what we're now seeing um, in terms of neutralization and what had been anticipated based on uh, the uh, g- genomic sequence of Omicron and particularly, particularly all of the, the mutations um, in the spike protein. So all of this is um, consistent uh, with expectations right now um, and uh, it's concerning. Um, so, uh, you know, the, we, the main issue uh, that, uh, you know, we have to be prepared for is um, not only the ongoing wave of Delta that we're having right now, but a concern for uh, a wave um, first Delta then followed by Omicron as it will start to spread too. And just to put that in perspective real quick, I mean, if it were to be like initial estimate, you know, of like three in terms of reproduction, I mean, is that just, how should people understand that number uh, in terms of level of concern or relative to Delta? Yeah, so I mean, it's, 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 um, there are a number of uh, ways to look at an individual level. Um, you know, the, the first observations that perhaps there's less uh, of a reduction neutralization in people who have had boosters. Again, these are preliminary data. I just want to emphasize so that, um, you know, we'll have to see how this, again, is uh, how it appears actually in the manuscripts and in. Um, uh, uh, published reports. But, you know, if it is the case that, um, as we would expect it to be, that people um, who have uh, additional immune protection, whether it's from a combination of vaccination and infection or vaccination and boosters, that those people have less of a reduction in neutralization as compared to Omicron, then then it really suggests that at an individual level, you should get, get a booster, right? Um, get vaccinated if you haven't been vaccinated and get a booster if you haven't gotten one yet because that will reduce your individual risk and also help to reduce population spread. The other uh, um, factor it suggests, at least as we head into the holiday season, is that um, engaging in the, uh, uh, the non-pharmaceutical interventions that we've been discussing for the past few years, again, uh, will become pretty important. So masking, uh, masking particularly when you're um, indoors, um, avoiding large gatherings, Uh, um, Using um, or being in places where you have good ventilation or trying to improve the ventilation in the places um, that you enter, those are uh, all going to be key to help reduce that uh, effective reproductive number. Um, But the the big concern again, is that with uh, an RT that's around three um, in populations that have a fair amount of uh, immune exposure or at least uh, first round of vaccination, Um, is that we're going to see uh, uh, it spread uh, pretty widely here too. And it's, uh, you know, uh, hospitals already in many places are struggling with Delta. If we add on another uh, surge to that, uh, it's, um, you know, uh, definitely alarming and something to be worried about. Okay, thank you.
3: Next question. Hi, thank you very much. Um, I have two questions, one about the past and the other about the future. Um, speaking of the past, I'm wondering if you have a, um, a favorite um, theory on where Omicron came from. Do you think it was in an immunocompromised person, an animal host? I mean, how, how, did, it, how did we end up with it? Um, and my other question, um, I'm wondering, looking ahead, given that, um, Covid's gonna be with us in some form or another for a long time. Do you feel that we're prepared to deal with it in terms of having the infrastructure for testing and uh, vaccinating and boostering and mask compliance and that kind of thing?
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and that also brings up another point that I, um, I, I, I regret not mentioning in, in discussing the non-pharmaceutical interventions in answers to, to prior questions. I really should have said something about rapid tests, because I think rapid tests are, are hugely important in all of these. You know, rapid tests before you mix with people, uh, I think, are, um, uh, are are key and can have a huge impact. Um, Impact on uh, reducing spread. So I just um, uh, again, I'm sorry for not uh, answering the previous questions um, from both Drew and uh, um, and Will that we kind of highlighting that. So so, um, but then going to your questions um, in turn. So so, one, uh, where did it come from? Uh, I don't I don't know that anyone has a high confidence theory. I don't know that we can have a high confidence theory right now. Um, The number of mutations in the long branch um, uh, is an indication that it was circulating somewhere um, uh, for a long time before it was picked up. Now, um, where was that? Uh, it could be that that was in some undetected human population. I think that is extre- meaning like a population of people and just circulated among that group and then eventually got out. I think that's extremely unlikely given the extent of mixing among, uh, among peoples uh, that we would not have seen it or sampled it somewhere before. So I think a human population is unlikely. What about an animal population? Could it have gotten into, say, deer or some other uh, animal host and circulated there for a long time and then jumped back into people, had another spillover event. That's uh, uh, possible, uh, but um, you know I, I, it's a hard one to, to prove or disprove. What about in an immunocompromised person? Well, we know that immunocompromised people can be chronically infected with, uh, with um, um, SARS-CoV-2. There have been a number of published reports on this. And it is um, something that we've seen with other viruses as well, like influenza and respiratory syncytial virus, just uh, identified two um, other uh, human respiratory viruses. So um, it, it certainly can chronically infect um, uh, a, a, an immunocompromised individual. One of the things that's interesting about, um, about Omicron is the number of uh, mutations in antigenic sites. So those, um, Areas of the spike protein that are targeted by antibodies. And, and one of the things that I wonder here is rather than someone who is severely immunocompromised and unable to generate an immune response, this suggests to me a possibility that what we what the person who is chronically infected may have had cycles of, um, of immunosuppression, right? So Uh, um, still uh, never totally immunocompetent to be able to clear the infection and keep it, you know, get it out of the system fully, but um, periods where you have enough of immune response to actually apply a selective pressure to the virus, such that it would evolve away from, say, the antibodies that were targeting one site, but then with um, uh, with immunosuppression virus can proliferate again, you add on another layer, uh, you remove the immunosuppression, so the person becomes more immunocompetent, can develop more of an immune response, but now it's targeting another site uh, on the virus. You go through these kinds of cycles and you can see this extensive um, uh, evolution to avoid multiple types of antibodies. So you see Kind of that epitope changes, many epitope changes in one virus. So to, to, to my mind, that that seems like a, the most plausible scenario. It could but be, that
3: what, that when, be. Why would a person's uh, um, immune strength be cycling in and out though? I, I, what, what, what are those circumstances?
1: Yeah, so that can happen in a few different circumstances. Uh, uh, we do that to people. Um, as physicians, we treat people who have Cancer with cycles of chemotherapy, where their immune system will go down and then come back up. We treat people with immunosuppressive agents when they have uh, autoimmune diseases, and so those get delivered on uh, usually monthly basis. You know, so uh, um, rituxan or rituximab, an anti-CD twenty uh, um, antibodies, basically knocking out your antibodies. So you know th- there are um, uh, ways in which we do this deliberately to people. There are also people who uh, go on and off uh, medications. So you know, it, someone who has—I um, uh, think this is less likely—but someone who has HIV and takes their medications, you know, for a while, then stops for a little bit, and takes them again, and then stops for a little bit. This is how you actually select for resistance mutations in HIV. Uh, but there are certainly ways in which, um, in our um, uh, um, and how we care for patients in a variety of different conditions where you would see cycling of um, strength of, immuno, uh, of the immune response. So that's, that's all within one person. It could also be that this is something passed from in, in a small group of people where we just haven't seen much sampling. So in three or four people, you could see that kind of thing. Again, I think I, I personally find the idea of it passing between three or four people to be less likely um, uh, than something you know where it's really uh, kind of incubating in one person over time. But again, these are all theories, and it's gonna be very hard to uh, prove or, or disprove any of these.
3: Okay, could you talk a little more about you? You answered my second question with one word, which is <laughs> very pointed, but can you talk about a little more? what What do you see as the greatest weaknesses in our ability to um, respond to this ongoing pandemic?
1: Yeah, I, I think that there, there, are, there are a number of things. One is, um, uh, you know, it, we are often playing a game of wait and see when I think, um, again, precautionary principles should dominate and it's going to be in many ways too late uh, and we can anticipate um, wh- what's going to happen. So being prepared uh, early and starting to take early action seems to me um, one of the um, important lessons we should have learned from all of the previous waves, um, but it seems like we're not um, uh, acting on those lessons as yet. Uh, a second really, which picks up on um, how I began my answer uh, initially after, after you posed your questions, um, making available rapid tests. They're, they're incredibly useful in uh, um, uh, as, as a tool in our response, but we don't really have them uh, available um, right now. I know that there is, uh, or at at cost, right? So I know that there is discussion about um, uh, having insurance companies pay for them. But you know, I was in a CVS actually earlier this morning and uh, listened as um, uh, the uh, person at the register answered the phone and said, uh, "Nope, still still haven't uh, received any tests uh, today, right?" So they're they're not available uh, in. Uh, local pharmacies. So um, I think you know, ramping up uh, production and making available these rapid tests to, to people um, is is another place where we have uh, not met the challenge um, and need to get on it. So I think there there are a number of places where it feels like we're we're falling into the the same traps uh, and haven't learned our our lessons from from previous waves.
3: Anything else that we should be doing right now?
1: Um, well, uh, you know, m- uh, encouraging vaccination, uh, encouraging uh, people to get boosters. Um, you know, the, there are uh, still um, parts of the population where, um, you know, we're, we're just not seeing it taken up. I, I, you know, I think vaccine mandates for population health uh, make a lot of sense. Uh, and, um, so requiring vaccination and boosters, uh, because again we're going to, from if the preliminary data hold up, uh, that will help slow the spread of Omicron, and then you know preparing um, as well. Uh, encourage, I'm sure vaccine companies are working on boosters that are Omicron specific, but that that too will be uh, will be important. But for for now, um, trying to get people vaccinated, encouraging where we can, masking, uh, and um, you know, I, I, all of the <laughs> non-pharmaceutical interventions, may, many of which we're just seeing people rebel against because of understandable fatigue. Um, you know, it's again, we're going to we're going to see the impact of it, and I'm uh, quite concerned, um, given that we are already seeing uh, a wave of Delta that is um, uh, that is challenging hospitals, that is filling uh, hospital beds, um, and uh, we are seeing influenza pick up um, in this country too. Um, so that, that, uh, having both, uh, a wave of influenza and, uh, waves of, um, SARS-CoV-2 1st Delta followed by Omicron, um, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be a huge stress on the healthcare system.
3: Thank you very much. You're welcome. Next question.
4: Hi, thanks for, uh, taking my question. Uh, this is, Kind of broad, but um, just you know, based on you know what we're seeing with the new variant and the questions about you know how many shots people need to get and how they should be spaced out and 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 whatnot. Why do we still not really have a correlate of protection? Can you can you get into you know why we still have questions about how much we need to be relying on memory cells versus neutralizing antibodies and just just any. Clarity you can bring to that um, discussion would, I think, would be helpful now that we're dealing with yet another new variant.
1: Um, well, you know, the, the I, I, I'm not sure I totally understand the question. Are you Are you asking why we don't know what the right correlative protection is yet? Is that Is that a way to summarize your question? Yeah.
4: Yeah. Just it. It you know, it's been almost two years of this and I, you know, maybe, maybe it's more complicated than, than I understand. I just, I, I, there's, there's been so much talk about, you know, understanding what the correlative protection is, you know, the, the, the neutralizing antibody level, but also understanding how the memory cells play into this. But it, it still doesn't seem like there's a good handle on it other than just, you know, if we boost people, their antibodies go up and uh, that seems to be good for now.
1: Um: <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that 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 is, that is true. Uh, it, well, I, it is true that when people's antibody levels go up, they, have, they seem to have more protection. And I think you know there isn't um, you know the, the, the idea of a correlative protection, I, it is the case that we have learned that uh, antibody levels um, do seem to be generally predictive uh, of um, uh, the extent of protection. There is not a, a clear. Um, there is not a clear uh, threshold where you can say uh, above this number you have zero risk, below this number you have a hundred percent risk. It's a continuum, right? So there's there's always um, uh, risk to varying extent, right? So if you imagine uh, a Kind of a graph where you have um, uh, on the y-axis the likelihood of infection or the likelihood of severe disease if infected. And on the right, you have um, uh, um, basically the level of immune response or extensive antibodies. You'll see some kind of curve, right? So you'll be able to say that you know, with higher levels of antibodies, you're less likely given an exposure to be infected, but there isn't a clear number where you can say you're gonna to be totally protected um, uh, at, or, you know, the risk will um, uh, be, be zero. It's always going to be there. It's just kind of, how does it, how does it play out um, in, in the middle range? We can say that with low antibody levels, uh, you know, people are at higher risk, right? So I think you can, start to identify those people who are, um, who are at risk um, if they have low titers. Now, it's, it gets um, even more complicated because it's a question of what are you actually uh, assessing with titers, right? So, so many of the tests um, are looking at IgG levels uh, and then there's the issue of, of neutralization. So how, how well does and IgG titer actually correlate to neutralization. Um, that there there does seem to be, uh, from data that I've seen, um, uh, a good correlation. At least for the original um, uh, uh, founder strains, it seems like there is still uh, a correlation. Perhaps not quite as good, uh, but still uh, still pretty good with um, Delta. And we just don't know yet for Omicron. So, you know, the, the relationship there may Uh, We'll have to see what it is um, for Omicron as well. Um, In terms of, uh, you know, kind of when people go and get a test for antibody level, they're really just looking at IgG and IgG for particular uh, uh, epitopes. Right. So it is possible that someone, depending on what epitope is being checked, you know, someone may have very high uh, titers, but they may be strain specific. So there's nuance here where it's not um, uh, um, uh, always clear how you can go directly from uh, a particular antibody level or titer um, to protection. It depends on what epitope is being checked, and it depends on um, the relationship between that antibody level and neutralization activity. So, um, uh, you know, I I think generally um, we know that uh, higher antibody levels at a population level, you know, just looking across the board and looking at averages, uh, those do correlate with better protection. um, But, uh, the kind of, there is going to be, there, there won't be a strict number. It'll be much easier to say people who have low uh, antibody levels are at higher risk, but there isn't going to be a number where you can say above this number, you're at zero risk. It's just going to be, it. Um, those people may have lower risk, but it will still, it will still be there. Uh, and then again, the nuances I was mentioning um, with, uh, you know, it, it's not always going to be the case that even people with high antibody titers are uh, going to be totally protected because it has to do with you know, what are your titers actually to, uh, and um, they could be strain-specific, for example. So again, a, a fair bit of nuance, but generally I think the idea that the um, lower antibody levels are certainly going to be an indicator of risk. Long answer, I may have repeated myself a fair bit there, but I hope that gets at some of what you were asking. It does
4: it, as though I, I'm when it comes to memory cells, there there seem to be like a lot of oblique references to well, this plays into it too, um, but we, we can't really put specifics on it. Um, can can you address that a little bit? You know, the the there doesn't seem to be a a real firm understanding of how much memory cells versus uh, antibodies you know, play into the response, the, the responses generated by the vaccine?
1: I'm gonna um, leave that for uh, a bona fide immunologist uh, to, to speak to you, I see. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, Fair enough. yeah, I'll, I'll just leave it at that.
0: Thanks. Uh,
5: next question. Yeah, thank you so much. I had two questions. The first being with the new study out on Pfizer and boosters um, and the protection levels, what does that mean for our kids, 5 through 11, who just are completing their first two doses? And should we be talking about um, shortening that length of time before the booster shot? Uh,
1: so I haven't seen any the, the data from Pfizer. I just saw um, kind of a... The press report they put out on this, so um, I, it is. So just to, to caution, all of this is pretty preliminary, right? So it is uh, um, adding speculation onto uh, data where uh, or a- onto reports of data that that I haven't had a chance to see. Um, you know, so so I think there's still going to be a, a fair bit to to learn and to evaluate before starting to make policy uh, based on. Um, uh, uh, on these things. So, um, you know, th- there are going to be a few factors here. One of them is uh, what is the extent of protection in kids? Another one is um, uh, rate of waning. Uh, you know, if people have just uh, been vaccinated or protected, we know that um, over time, uh, you know, that they will start off high and slowly come down. But if they're Right now, in the, the time point that it, where they are most protected, um, you know, perhaps uh, that can. You know, t- to what extent does that carry through the winter wave? Um, what is the optimal time for a booster in this population? I think there's still going to be questions about that. So there's still, I think, a fair amount to to learn um, uh, before making decisions on, on on policy and and when to. Uh, what to do with this population when to give them additional doses if, if we need to.
5: Thanks so much. And my, my next question has to do with the testing. I know um, you mentioned the need for more rapid tests and um, just the availability of those, and there's been a push nationally, but I have also heard from scientists saying, yeah, that's, that's great for stopping the spread or at least catching the spread, but we really need people to get PCR tests too so that we can, for from an epidemiological standpoint so that we can track this variant and how it's spreading do you think that's an important piece to this that if you take an at-home rapid test that you should also be going to get pcr so we can be monitoring for this variant and new variants
1: yeah i think that there are multiple ways of of approaching this um uh, you know if the 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 major use of uh, these PCR tests, or excuse me, of the rapid tests in the context of uh, public health setting, is really to help people uh, be um, more confident to enter into uh, group settings um, where uh, they will be um, at risk for transmission. And I think in, 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 in those settings, uh, a negative rapid test can provide some confidence um, again, in that in that setting, a positive rapid test, uh, and you should um, definitely uh, see about contacting a healthcare provider uh, whether you need to, uh, you know, particularly if you develop symptoms, um, and uh, you know, let public health officials know so that you can start to this can be tracked. I, I don't know that we are at a point where um, we need to worry that these rapid tests are going to so outpace uh, the uh, or or replace uh, PCR testing. Um, So, you know, the, and and I should say that PCR testing and and epidemiological tracking of uh, cases is, um, has itself uh, had vagaries through, um, uh, you know, uh, the amount of testing that's happened in different places. And in some ways, we look to um, uh, a variety of other kinds of signatures to to keep track of uh, spread epidemiologically, including hospitalizations uh, and deaths. So there are a number of tools available. I'm, I'm, would not uh, in in any way point to um, uh, rapid tests um, as undermining uh, um, epidemiological uh, observation or inference uh, as a reason not to use them, um, uh, or to to, um, say this is uh, a call for just using PCR. I think that the application of uh, rapid tests for people to be able to gather safely is still extremely important uh, and you know, we'll, where people are positive, um, there are other ways of reporting cases.
5: Thanks so much. Uh, next question.
6: Uh, hi, Dr. Grad. Thanks for doing this. Um, you know, I'm curious how confident you are or, or, or in predicting that this virus is going to be as pathogenic as you know Delta or other strains that have been around and. I mean, there are these early signs, I guess, that it, it might not be. Um, so given that it is incredibly, it has this very high R-naught, and that you know a third of the population in the US or whatever is just pretty steadfast about not getting vaccinated or doing anything else to stop the spread of the virus. I mean, how are you gonna, I mean, it, it does it get to, I, I realize this isn't exactly your lane, but do we get to a point where, we're just trying to communicate with part of the population and everyone else is on their own because um, if it's spreading at that rate, if it starts spreading at that rate and you're not vaccinated and you're not taking precautions, um, it's gonna continue to spread. And so then it becomes a matter of uh, figuring out what measures to take for people who care about it.
1: Right, so, Uh, yes, this is <laughs> I, I began with, with a statement of uh, just how worried I am. Um, I, I, I am uh, I am concerned uh, for the reasons you lay out uh, um, and the fact that we're already seeing um, a, a dramatic increase in cases attributable to Delta. And so uh, it will start to be Omicron in the next uh, few weeks, but you know, we're already seeing our healthcare institutions challenged. Uh, by um, Delta, and then, as I mentioned, we, we have uh, flu on the uptick too, so uh, it, is, it is absolutely concerning. Uh, I, I don't know about pathogenicity. I think we won't have a sense of the severe disease um, for, uh, um, for some time yet, uh, and it, that's, you know, to, because, you um, we have to look at in which populations has it been spreading, uh, what is their age group, um, what is the extent of immune protection in those populations. Um, uh, there, there are a variety of questions that we'd have to answer before we can you know, um, address the, uh, th- this extremely important issue of, of severity of disease um, caused by Omicron. Um, but I think that those data aren't going to come for a while. Uh, in the meantime, it seems, uh, from from my perspective, uh, reasonable to assume it will be like uh, other variants, and uh, even even if it's half as uh, virulent um, as Delta, that's still as virulent as uh, the founder strains. And right? so, the um, in an unvaccinated, uh, previously uninfected population, we, we we saw what damage that could do back in. The spring of 2020 so um, given the number of people fraction of the population that is in that category uh, it absolutely is alarming uh, and um, and uh, um, and something that um, you know uh, to, to your uh, question about what should we do about it um, I try as much as possible to convince people where we can um, uh, and to to Uh, encourage through mandates or other measures um, uh, an uptake in vaccination. But you're also right, that's not exactly my lane. I'm not a a, a policymaker, and I'm not a social and behavioral scientist. So I I don't know that I have great ideas on how to uh, um, present a compelling case to individuals who have been so recalcitrant, um, uh, how to start engaging in uh, public health interventions that, you know, you would think, uh, for people who, uh, um, care not only about their, uh, uh, individual rights, but care about the populations, their loved ones, their friends and others, uh, what, what would be right actions to help protect everyone? So, uh, yeah, really, uh, extremely difficult issue.
6: Thank you. Uh, Could I ask one just small question? I don't know that, is there anything that, um, do we know enough about the structures of the virus and what they mean? I mean, we know that this has, there are all these mutations in the spike protein and the binding areas and so on, but do we know enough about the structures of these of this virus to know whether certain changes have any effect on our, are, are likely, you know, where we could predict that they would have an effect on pathogenicity as well as infectiousness, you know? Not
1: really. I, I don't think so. I think that's yeah. really going to be something that we learn. Um, uh, I mean, clearly it can, it can infect people. Uh, right. uh, and so the yeah. extensive right. disease is really going to be something that I think is going to wait. Um, we'll have to wait to, to answer that question. And it's probably going to be, um, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll get some hints, but really um, good, solid answers are going to take a month or two.
0: Thank you. Um, next question. Given the newness of the data regarding the Pfizer boosters effectiveness against Omicron, can you speak broadly about the importance of getting a booster? People who have had their first two shots may think they're already all set.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think um, even uh, before uh, uh, Omicron, I think there was very good reason uh, um, to get a booster Uh, data from Israel uh, and from actually from the US, from many places now, really suggest that a third dose uh, is extremely important for uh, immune response. So um, I I know uh, the CDC recently uh, changed their um, uh, statement around boosters from uh, um, making them available to recommending that people get them. Um, you know, now there's discussion about whether uh, a fully vaccinated individual should be um, uh, considered someone who's had uh, just that first course, meaning for uh, um, Pfizer and Moderna the first two, um, or it should be someone who's had all three. I advocate for all three. I think that is really where we should be. So um, and, and that's even before Omicron. I haven't seen the data. All I have uh, uh, Pfizer's data on boosters uh, and the extent to which Omicron uh, um, reduces titers from those who have been boosted. Uh, I, I w- I'm really interested to see those data, but I think that uh, just further emphasizes the point that um, a third dose uh, is, is going to be really important. Uh, and, and I suspect um, Pfizer, Moderna, and others are working on an Omicron-specific vaccine. Uh, um, probably something that won't be available until uh, until March, um, but that may also be an important feature in um, uh, in in responding uh, to uh, the spread of Omicron uh, and subsequent strains. But you know we'll, we'll have to see.
0: Is that good? If you have any other questions, just put them in the chat and I'll ask. Um, have you said anything about monoclonal antibodies?
1: I'm sorry. Say that again. Have I? Have
0: you, have you commented all on monoclonal antibodies?
1: Um, I, I I have in, insofar as there there's some initial data I believe from the GSK monoclonal antibody that uh, has seen that it still seems to retain um, uh, a large extent of its um, effectiveness. But I, I haven't I, I have to say I haven't yet seen those data myself uh, and there is reason to be concerned about other monoclonal antibodies, given the mutations in um, the spike protein in Omicron, that they will have uh, markedly diminished um, uh, uh, um, effectiveness, uh, therapeutic effectiveness, um, given the the escape. Uh, And now that we're starting to see um, data on uh, escape from neutralization um, from individuals uh, um, who have been vaccinated or previously infected, I, I, I am concerned about uh, a number of these monoclonal antibodies no longer really being particularly effective. Now, um, one of the things to keep in mind is new monoclonal antibodies that are targeted against Omicron can be developed, but those will take some time. So the existing ones, um, while I, I believe, that again, data for one of them may be that it retains uh, some of its therapeutic uh, or potential, you know, that it continues to be neutralizing, um, I, I think for a number of them, we expect that with omicron, they will have uh, uh, th- th- their effectiveness will be markedly diminished.
0: Uh, she would like to note why patients are still dying from Delta, given that given that monoclonal antibodies, uh, their effectiveness?
1: Yeah, they're not perfect, uh, and um, you know, people have severe disease. So while you know, no, we don't have a. Uh, a 100% cure, much as I wish we did. Uh, we don't have a, uh, something where you can um, take a drug and, um, you know, immediately become better. Um, so, uh, you know, this is uh, Pfizer and Merck both have now antiviral uh, pills that I think will contribute to our therapeutic response. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, people um, still get very severe disease. They show up at different times in their infection course, uh, and while uh, you know the healthcare institutions and providers may do all they can, um, uh, sometimes uh, it is just not enough. That these are you know the tools in our toolbox uh, um, uh, help us and reduce the uh, rates of mortality, but they cannot bring them down to zero. I mean, it's the same thing that we've seen for pretty much uh, for most of, of the diseases that we struggle with um, in, in this world, in this life. Um, nothing, nothing is, is perfect, uh, but they help a lot.
0: And her other question is, what might the criteria be for a whole new vaccination rollout of a revamped Omicron-specific vaccine? Uh, do you have any ideas of the breakthrough infection rate or hospitalization rate?
1: Um, yeah, I I I don't know what uh, that we have any particular thresholds. I think um, you know we will see, uh, um, but I, you know they, again we're still fairly early on. But if the indications uh, are uh, holds true to to what we've seen, uh, then I think there will be reason to try to broaden people's uh, kind of the extent of the uh, immune response by targeting the, the antigens in Omicron. Um, I think that, that you know we're, if we are really at an effective reproductive number that was akin to what the original uh, founder strains um, of SARS-CoV-2 had in a totally naive population, then I think there'll be a, a good call to try to um, uh, vaccinate people with something that is uh, more Omicron-specific to broaden uh, the antibody repertoire. Uh, So uh, we'll we'll see how it plays out, but I would not be surprised if in the spring we have uh, vaccination campaigns with an Omicron-specific iteration of uh, uh, SARS-CoV-2 vaccine. Um,
3: Next question. Hi, thanks for letting me have a second crack at this. I I wanted to um, run this scenario by you, which I've heard suppose Omicron overtakes Delta and replaces it because it's so much more transmissible. And then it turns out that Omicron causes only very mild disease. So my question for you is, does that seem likely? And if so, would that actually be a good thing?
1: Uh, so yes, I, I don't know how to, um, to gauge the... the uh, risk uh, of severity with Omicron, um, because, again, those are data that uh, we're, we're still waiting to see. I, I um, But I, I, I wouldn't bet on it. Um, I, I think, again, that our... The, uh, um, The expectation should be uh, that we will see it just as pathogenic, um, particularly in individuals who uh, have no uh, immune experience of SARS-CoV-2. So those who are unvaccinated and previously unaffected, I think we should still expect to see the same level of severity as we've seen with all of the other variants. Now, um, one thing your question gets at is, uh, where are we going um, with COVID-19? Uh, in the long term. I, I don't know that we should necessarily expect that the virus is going to uh, become more um, uh, w- more mild or that uh, uh, but instead that by immune experience in the population uh, we will reduce the severity of disease if infected. And right? and this is what we have seen with the success uh, uh, initially with these um, with the vaccines and then with the with the boosters that um, that they are effective in reducing the severity of disease and that if enough of the population, or really people just, you know, have some kind of immune experience with this virus, then the next time around when they get uh, exposed and infected, the likelihood of severe disease uh, goes down. And so it, in essence, uh, the amount of or the, the type of disease that they will cause is, is more mild. It's just, you know, it is not that the virus uh, necessarily has changed its risk in a totally unvaccinated uh, and, um, uh, you know, uh, uninfected, so immune naive person, but rather um, as we as the population become more experienced with the virus, the amount of disease it causes is less. So um, I am, I mean, that, that's where we hope we are going um, uh, as more of the population um, gets vaccinated or some kind of immune um, uh, memory, immune experience with this virus. Um, But I I would not, I don't think it is, um, I think we've been caught in the trap before of hoping that a new variant is is going to be uh, less virulent. And I think it makes more sense to uh, anticipate that um, it will be just as virulent, particularly in the people who are um, uh, at risk. So, um, uh, yeah, but uh, we'll, we'll see how it plays out over the next weeks and months.
3: Thank you. All right, Dr.
0: Grad. I think that's our last question for today. Uh, do you have any uh, comments for us before we go?
1: Nope, that was it. Thanks for all the questions and the discussion.
0: This concludes the December 8th press conference.